Find the Rock. Who's teaching it tonight? I know George is out of town. Where are you? There you go. Way back there. So if you're going through Find the Rock, follow that man in the black shirt. There you go. There, there we go. All right. Now, the rest of you must want to know about healing. Is that all that's going with him? All right. They must already be back there. Or we stole them. Might have been that too. All right. This has been such a great series. And I want to tell you, I'm really blessed the more I look at it and study it myself and get ready to share it with you. It's so good to see a crowd like this in such inclement weather. Uh, we started heading here. I said, Kathy, this is probably going to hurt us a little bit. She said, maybe, maybe not. Well, it really didn't. doesn't look like. But God bless you for coming in the rain, sleet, hail, and snow <laughs> to hear the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And so let's pray together, and then we're going to get into part three. Father, we thank you tonight for your Word. Thank you, Lord, for feeding us the Scriptures. Lord, help us tonight to see the truth in healing, in your atonement, in what you did for us on the cross. Build our faith, strengthen our hope. And Lord, I thank you for raising up among us those who will visit hospitals and minister in the altar and stand in a healing room. And the life of God will flow through them into the needy and the sick and the afflicted. Lord, we pray for the rightly divided word tonight, the word of truth. We thank you for it. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, speak to me tonight, Lord. I receive your word. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're healed. Amen. All right, week three, healing in the atonement. God's, we're going to look at a, a, this being a covenant issue. Everybody say the word covenant with me. This is a covenant issue. And that's a smaller box up there than normal. So I'm putting on my glasses. There, I see it a little bit better now. Now, say the word with a co covenant with me again. This is a covenant issue. Healing is an issue of covenant. Now let's look first at God's covenant with Moses saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. Read this with me, everybody. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. Now preach the next part real good. I am the Lord your healer. Now, God has identified himself here as our healer, and God does that. When God wants to uh, let us know something about his character, about how he blesses us, how we're to relate to him, he will do it, uh, do it generally through names like Jehovah Shalom, he's our peace, Jehovah Jireh, he's our provider, uh, Jehovah Rophi, he's our healer. Jehovah Sidkenu, he's our righteousness. You can go through the different names whereby God identified himself and revealed himself. And without him revealing himself, we would not know this about him. 
Hold your Bible for a minute. Now, what you have in this Bible is what's called revelation knowledge. You would not have ever come to know much of what is in this book if God had not decided to reveal it to us. Let me put it another way. You would never have come to know the truths that are in this book through what you see, hear, taste, touch, or smell. Your five senses would not have led you to much of the wisdom and knowledge that is locked up in this book. That's why the book of Revelation is called Apocalypsis, the revealing, the unveiling. The, the Greek word Apocalypsis simply means that which has been hidden is revealed, but it's revealed by divine revelation. If we had lived to be a million, we would never have known about the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, the Antichrist. We would never have known about all of the events that are going to happen in the last seven years of Earth's history. We'd never have known about them if God had not revealed it to us. So I want you to understand tonight that one of the things we're looking at and coming to get a grasp on is that there is valid knowledge beyond what you can see and hear and taste and touch and smell. Your five senses are not the revealer, the ultimate revealer of all that is true. Now we've talked for two weeks in a row, and here's the third week, where I'm wanting us to understand that when it comes to healing, a lot of people have a problem with healing and other supernatural manifestations because we are intellectual children of the Enlightenment, the age of reason. The 18th century age of reason, European age of reason or enlightenment, where good men, Christian men, John Locke and others who wrote during the enlightenment, uh, whose writings greatly affected the Constitution of the United States. But they decided that if you couldn't see it, hear it, taste it, touch it, or smell it, if you couldn't narrow it down to a test tube in a laboratory, it was not real. Now when they decided that, because they looked back on the Middle Ages from about 400 AD to 1400 AD, they looked back on the Middle Ages where people believed in the supernatural, believed in demons. Now there were a lot of superstitions and all of that crazy stuff, but essentially they believed there was a God, there was a devil, there were demons, there were angels. They looked back on the Middle Ages that had preceded them and said they were just a bunch of superstitious backwoods, ignorant people, we're enlightened. And our enlightenment is shown and revealed by the only thing that we will accept is true is what we can find with our five senses. If it's not discernible to the five senses, if it can't be put in a scientific test tube, it's not real. Well, that does away with much of what's in the Bible. Okay? Much of what's in the Bible. They made, and these, like I said, John Locke was a believer in God. But they came to this conclusion. This is going to be our route to truth. So, a lot of people living in the West, like us, aren't aware that we are the great, great, great grandchildren of that way of thinking, that influence, so that we stumble over the supernatural. 
There are church people who would tell you today, I don't believe there's a real devil. I believe he was a, either a myth or, or an illustration of evil, but not a real creature. Church people, many different denominations and people going to church every Sunday would tell you there's no real angels. There's no real supernatural. We've shared with you the last couple of weeks that Americans are more deistic in their thinking than they are theistic. That is, they believe that God, like a great watchmaker, created the universe and then stepped out of the picture, wound it up like a big watch so that it was ticking and working and then just stepped out of the picture. And that he does not intervene in the affairs of men. He does not answer prayer and he certainly doesn't move in the supernatural arena. And so you've got a whole slice of Western culture, a big one, that does not believe what we're looking at now. So we're going to look again tonight at two of the three philosophies that a lot of professing church people, professing Christians believe about divine healing, and we feel they've come to a wrong conclusion. And I don't, I don't condemn anybody, but I, can, I realized long ago that this book is a book of divine revelation. And it gives us, it lifts the veil, and it takes us beyond the veil and lets us peer into the supernatural in a way that we would never see, never know, with our eyes or ears or taste or touch or smell. So first, this is a covenant issue, the issue of healing. God's covenant with Moses. And he, he, he said, I am the Lord, your healer. Now, God revealed himself to Israel as the Lord, your healer. Deuteronomy chapter 28 explains this in detail. If God's people are faithful to the covenant, they will walk in healing. That's what God told the people. If God's people are not faithful to the covenant, they will be sick. Now, this is what God, through Moses, told the people, the wilderness wanderers, if you keep God's word, his covenant with you, you're going to stay well. If you don't, you're going to get sick. That's what he told them. Now, there are always two parties in a covenant. Each party has responsibilities and consequences. Now, in the covenant of law that came through Moses, Israel's part was the responsibility to keep the law. God was responsible to provide healing as long as Israel kept their part. Now, let's read some scripture again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. This is one of my favorite psalms. Let's read it together out loud. It'll bless you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and does what? Who heals all your diseases. That's the psalmist David. Let's keep reading. Who redeems your life from the pit. Say amen. amen. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Everybody over 50 say glory to God. I didn't mean that. I should have said over 60 because I'm over 50. If you're feeling old, read that psalm because he, he will renew your youth. Righteous living is good for you. Now, that's God's covenant with Moses. You do what I say, I'll keep you well. Let's look at God's covenant with Abraham. Genesis 15, 4 through 20, powerful scripture here. 
Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, Eleazar of Damascus, Abraham's faithful servant, will not be given what is yours. Now this is God talking to Abraham about Eleazar, his servant. He's not going to be given, Abraham, what is yours. But he who will come from your own body will be given what is yours. God demanding that his covenant with Abraham must flow through his seed. He took him outside and said, now I want you to look up into the heavens and add up the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, your children and your children's children will be as many as the stars, a huge nation of people. Then Abram believed in the Lord. And what did that do when he believed God? It made him right with God. So he was not made right with God by works, by keeping the law, but he was made right with God by believing what God said. God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land for your own. And Abraham or Abram at that time said, Oh Lord God, how may I know that it's going to be mine? So the Lord said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him and cut them in two. I know that's kind of gross. This is the Old Testament way. I don't like it either. But God was teaching a lesson that pointed to the cross. Pointed all the way down through time to the cross. He laid each half beside the other, but he did not cut the birds. Now when the meat-eating birds came down, the vultures came down upon the dead animals, Abram made them go away. When the sun was going down, Abram slipped into a deep sleep as if he were dead. He really conked out. And much fear and darkness came upon him. He's having a vision now, a dream. And it's a disturbing dream to him. It's moving him deeply within. God said to Abram, know for sure that your children And those born after them will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. There they will be servants and suffer for 400 years. Where is he talking about there? Egypt. So God is telling him, you're going to have a son. And he's going to have children. And your descendants are going to be taken as slaves into a nation. And they are going to be there for 400 years. God predicting their exile in Egypt. But I will punish the nation they will serve. And later they're going to come out of Egypt with many riches. You will live many years and you will die in peace, Abraham, and you will be buried. Then your great-great-grandchildren will return here to the promised land. For the sins of the Amorite are not yet finished. Now, when the sun had gone down and it was very dark, a fire pot of smoke and a burning fire passed between these parts of animals. Now, this is mysterious, but I'm going to explain it to you. Look at this, a fire pot of smoke and a burning fire. The, the animals have been uh, cut in half. There's the two halves on either side. There is a little gap between them. And this fire pot of smoke and burning fire passed between the animals, moving between them. The Lord made an agreement with Abram on that day. He said, I have given this land to your children and to their children's children from the river of Egypt as far as the big Euphrates River. The land of the Kenite, Kenizzite, Cadmonite, Hittite, Perizzite, 
Rephaim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. That's a bunch of ites. That's a bunch of enemies. It's a bunch of enemies, okay? All the enemies of God. Now, in this striking drama, God makes an unbreakable covenant. Who was it that moved between the parts of animals, the, the cut in half animals that on either side, the fire that moved between them was God. God was cutting a covenant, swearing by himself. For there is no greater that God can swear by than himself. That makes for a unbreakable covenant because God said by my own name, by my own character, by my own goodness, I'm cutting this covenant with you. It doesn't get any stronger than that. He said, I've made an unbreakable covenant with Abraham that his seed is going to inherit the promised land. Now God's covenant with Abraham is our model for righteousness received by grace through faith. All right? God's covenant through Moses is our model for righteousness through the works of the law. Now, which works? Moses' model, righteousness through the law, or Abraham's model, righteousness by faith? Anybody in here ever tried to keep the law? Anybody in here ever lied? If you've ever lied, raise your hand. If you've never lied, raise your hand. Liar. If you break one commandment, you've broken them all, James said. Have you ever stolen anything, even a piece of gum? Have you ever worshipped something other than God? Of course, we've all broken the Ten Commandments. So to get righteous by Moses' way was impossible. But Abraham's way was by faith. All right? And God's covenant with Abraham is our model. It's how we got righteous. Because God gave a promise to Abraham, and when he accepted it, God said, you are righteous. I declare you righteous by faith. And when we heard the gospel and we said, I believe it, and he did die for me, and I placed my sins on him, God said, righteous. Come on, everybody. Righteous. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, in the law, God's commandments to Israel were contingent upon Israel's performance. That's religion. Religion is your performance. But when God made covenant with Abraham, he put Abraham to sleep, and God committed to both Abraham's part as well as his own. Now, the new covenant is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. We did not fulfill our part of the covenant. Can everybody say Amen. If we had we, had, we would have had nothing to repent for. But I had to do a lot of repenting. What about you? All right, now, God, as promised, fulfilled our part. And where did he do that? On the cross, where he took your sin and mine. And so when you put your faith in that cross, you are accepting what God did for you. Religion is your best effort to reach God. Christianity is God's best effort to reach you. And it's through the cross. Religion is you work to get right. Christianity is you believe to get right. Now, 
He was completely faithful in his performance, that is, Jesus Christ. In Christ, God stepped in and even took the consequences of our unfaithfulness upon himself. That's just such a mind blower. Everything you and I ever did wrong, he got blamed for it. He took the judgment for it. Now, God has not changed. He is still Yahweh Rapha, or Rofi, we say, the Lord, your healer. He has not changed. Now, in the new covenant, God's provision of healing, or any other covenant provision, is not contingent upon our performance. <laughs> Please let that sink in. I got to tell you, I think it takes a lifetime to get it out of your head that you've got to do something to get right. I think it just, it's so hard for us to think that we don't have to earn our way in, that we don't have to perform for God. And what a rest comes to you when you finally say, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He paid the debt I could not pay. And, and so I receive his righteousness, period. And that's the way it works. It, it just, it's so hard to get it out of your head that you've got to do it. Now, what did Jesus carry for us? Well, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, tell us what he carried on the cross. Stop a moment before we read these and picture him on that cross. Can you just picture it? He's beaten beyond recognition. It was gruesome, folks. If you saw the passion of the Christ, that didn't do it justice. It was gruesome. It was, it was brutal. It was barbaric. Picture him on that cross. He's unrecognizable, not only as Jesus, but as a human being. He's unrecognizable. He's hanging there between heaven and earth. A thief on either side of him. One gets saved, one goes to hell. The sky turns black as midnight. Nature itself is reacting and responding to the crucifixion of its creator. I believe angels were totally still. You could have heard a pin drop on a shag carpet around that cross. Even the Roman centurion said, surely this must be the Son of God. It was totally unnatural what was happening with nature. It was like time stood still as Jesus breathed his last. Now, something was happening in that other world your senses can't sense. Something was happening. What was happening? God was taking, as only God can do, our sin and our sicknesses and laying them on him. Look at what he bore. He bore our griefs. Anybody ever grieved in here? He bore that grief. He carried our sorrows. Everybody in here ever been sorrowful? Some of you are sorrowful tonight. You're hurting. He bore that sorrow. Now let's go on. Read it with me. He was wounded for our transgressions. So when they put that sword through his side and nailed his hands and feet to the cross, whipped his back into shreds and thrust that crown of thorns on his head and plucked out his beard, that was his wounding. And why did God let that happen for our transgressions? He was bruised for our iniquities. Now, you say, what's the difference? Transgression is the act of sin. Iniquity is the bent towards sin. 
you have a tendency towards sin. You're born with it. That tendency becomes an act. The tendency is iniquity. Transgression is the act. But he was wounded for both. He took care of the act and he took care of the tendency towards it. The chastisement for our peace was on him. And read this last part with me. By his stripes, we are what? Healed. Now, all we like sheep have gone astray, every last one of us. We have turned every one to our own rebellious, independent, godless way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. All right. Notice griefs. Here's what's named. Griefs, sorrows, transgressions, iniquities. And by implication, we are healed our sicknesses. We are healed. Now this powerful messianic prophecy is generally understood as specifically applicable to God's provision of forgiveness for our sin. What these verses are primarily about is your sin. He dealt with the sin issue. Because until the sin issue is dealt with, there is no healing. There is no anything. We're all going to the place that was created only for the devil and his angels. Hell was never created for men. Never was. If you go there, you chose to go there. Can I just be honest about that tonight? If you go there and you've heard the gospel and you go there, you chose to go there. Matter of fact, let me make a powerful statement I read from C.S. Lewis. Hell is the greatest monument to man's freedom there is. Whoa, that's true. Hell is the greatest monument to the freedom of man. Because if you wind up in hell, you chose with the power of choice God gave you to go there. But that's another night and another series. Aren't you glad you're not going there? Amen. Now, the basic idea is that we have grief and sorrow because of the guilt of our transgressions and iniquities. That's what gives you grief and sorrow. The way of the sinner is hard. If you want to be happy, you got to be holy. I promise you there's no happiness without holiness. And if you want to be miserable, live in sin. If you want to be miserable, live in sin. But if you want to be happy, get holy. I promise you, the closer you get to Jesus, the happier you're going to be. You're, that's true. I guarantee you it's true. Now, healed is understood to refer exclusively to God's work to heal our spiritual sickness, thereby making us right with him. That's the primary me meaning of this word, healed, to make us right with God, heal our spiritual sickness. Jesus has made provision for our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, and our iniquities. Now, the Hebrew word for griefs, is most often translated as disease or sickness. Kali is the Hebrew, short definition. It means sickness. So he bore our griefs, can be translated, he bore our sicknesses. He bore them. Jesus has made peace and healing available to us in each of these areas. The word peace is shalom, we know that word. This refers to completeness, soundness, welfare, and peace. 
Peace is a lot more than this right here. Peace. I remember going around all the time as a teenager. I had no idea what I was doing. Peace. And I was living like a hellion. And I was telling people, peace. And I was sowing destruction everywhere I went. But peace is way deeper than just kind of being calm. Peace is completeness, soundness, integrity of soul, uh, welfare, peace. It's deeper. It's more profound. It speaks of a soul that has been touched by God and healed. Peace. It's also important to note that the Hebrew mind would not have necessarily separated our guilt-sin problem from our sickness problem. Because going all the way back to Moses, he had taught them, you do what God says and he's going to keep you from being sick. So they associated being right with God with also being healed. Physical sickness was often understood to be the result of failure to obey the Torah. And you can read Deuteronomy 28 on your own. Now Jesus' ministry to the sick and the tormented <clears throat> reveals the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Let's just read some of the times where Jesus healed because these are so powerful. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. Now, <laughs> what does a deist do with this? What is a cessationist, that is, those who believe that miracles ceased when the last apostle died, what do they believe happened with demons? Did demons just go into retirement? Did they just check out and say, well, there goes John, he's the last one, so there's no more miracles, so we fade to black as well? No. Demons didn't go anywhere, so why in the world would God take away from the church the ability to rebuke them and bind them and be freed of them just because John died? Seriously, let's think tonight. Why would he do away with miracles? Why would he say, well, I gave them power in the first century to be freed of demons. The rest of you are just going to have to rough it till I come back. <laughs> that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all who were sick. And then the Bible goes on to say, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, quote, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now notice that Matthew connected illnesses and diseases with demons. Not only did Jesus heal their sicknesses, he also delivered them from demonic bondage. Now the apostle Peter chimed in as well on Jesus' healing ministry. And look what it says in 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So there's the sin issue. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There's your righteous lifestyle issue. And then Peter said what? Read it with me. And by his wounds you have been healed. Now the verb. Let me give you a little Greek lesson here tonight. You can get it. The verb have been healed in 1 Peter 2.24 is aorist, indicative, passive, plural. Now say it with me, that's Greek to me. <laughs> You're right, it is. Let me tell you what it means. It refers to a past tense event, that's the aorist, a past tense event in which something was done to or for you without your involvement. That's the passive. 
When a verb is in the passive tense, it means something was done to or for you without your involvement. You were passively there doing nothing when something was done to or for you. So Peter said, you didn't have anything to do with what was done for you. By his wounds, you were, past tense, healed, and you didn't have a thing to do with it. He did it all. So we say, I receive it. Because it was done to or for you anyway. Now, the plural usage means it was done for us all. Done for everybody who will reach out in faith. Now, when Peter references this prophecy, he does so in a way that views it as an already completed work. It's done. That's the aorist tense. It's done. In light of what we have just read, what lenses are we looking through as it relates to healing? Remember the first lesson, we looked at lenses, your worldview. In light of what we just read, are you looking at what we just read through the lens of unbelief, the lens of doubt, the lens of skepticism, or the lens of faith? Everybody in here has got a lens. And how are you looking at what we just read? Now again, let's look at the options, shooting back to the first night a little bit. We call them dualistic views, one and two. We're going to get a little bit cerebral here for a minute, a little bit academic, but just stay with me. Grace against nature and grace above nature. Both of those views, worldviews, lenses, look at healing this way. Jesus' death and resurrection make a way for us to go to heaven when we die. Is that true? Hello, church. Is that true? But is that all of it? The second one, healing makes little sense within this view, except as a means to validate the gospel message. That means this. Jesus was healing people only to validate the gospel message. And when John, the last apostle, died, there didn't need to be any more validation of the gospel message by people being healed. So supernatural healings stopped. That's a view that a lot of people have. Is that your lens? The purpose of healing was miraculous validation. This is our, uh, this is the faith view or the we believe it now view. The purpose of healing was miraculous validation of the gospel message prior to the completion of the Bible. Well, I'm sorry, this is one more before we get to the one we grab hold of. That this has been the common explanation for those with this worldview throughout church history that the purpose of healing was miraculous validation of the gospel message before the Bible was completed. And when the Bible was completed and revelations was done and the, the whole canon was complete, then God quit doing miracles. No? Are you with that? Do you accept that? Is that what you embrace? All right. Healing is now seen as no longer necessary since the canon of New Testament scripture is complete. A lot of good people believe that way. And then there is the integrated view, integrated view, grace within nature. And this is the one we're teaching here. That Jesus' death and resurrection are God's provision for a new creation, which includes a new nature through being born again and the reality of healing through faith in the finished work of Christ. Is that your lens? 
Healing makes perfect sense from this perspective. It does. Okay? Now, in Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus has made full provision for a complete new creation. Anybody in here a new creation since you got saved? I'm not saying you're perfect, but you're not what you used to be. Right? Because something essentially fundamental happened inside of you when you got saved. You became a new creation in Christ. Literally the Greek, a new species of being that has never been before. Wow. Born again folks are a new species. Now this provision will be fully realized when Revelation 21, 1 to 5 is fulfilled. Now that is when God says, I'm going to wipe away every tear and there's going to be no more sickness, no more disease, no more pain, no more heartache. So admittedly, when the born again person goes to heaven, the ultimate thorough, complete healing happens totally to every born again child of God. But does that mean we shouldn't believe for healing here and now? No, it's just a guarantee according to Revelation 21 that because you have been born again, when you get to heaven, God's going to wipe away every tear and you're going to have a glorified body. And heaven is going to be so amazing, so beautiful, so stunning, so unimaginably glorious. It just makes you want to just go there. Now, this provision includes healing of spirit, soul, and body. In the present, healing is to be understood as the appropriation of Jesus' full provision on the cross in advance of Revelations 21. Because Jesus' atoning work includes provision for a new creation, it follows that the declaration of the gospel and the demonstration of God's power cannot be separated. Hence, the church is urged by James to do what? Why would James tell the church to pray for the sick if after John died, it all stopped? James 5, 14 to 16. Is anyone among you sick? Now, that's the Greek word that means feeble, weak, diseased. Catch this. Let, let's translate it ourselves. James says to the church, is anybody in your congregation feeble, weak, or diseased. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them do what? Pray over him. Saying, brother, bless you. We're, we're, we're hanging with you until you go to heaven. No. He said, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then what will happen? Read it with me. The prayer of faith will save. Sozo. It means save, heal, preserve, rescue the sick. And the Lord will do what? Raise him up. And if he has committed sins, and that's intimating that sometimes sin can make you sick. So he takes care of the whole thing. The person experiences physical healing and their sins are washed away by repentance in the same fell swoop so that the cause of the sickness, in this case, the possibility that sin made them sick is also handled. Confess your trespasses, he says, to one another and pray one for another that you may be what, everybody? Yeah. Now, that's a different Greek word that means to heal generally of the physical, sometimes of spiritual disease. So the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much 
Now, there couldn't be a clearer commandment, allowance, encouragement, exhortation for the church to involve itself in praying for sick people. The two Greek words that he used for healing had to do with deliverance, healed of physical sickness, and healed of spiritual sickness. Whereas sozo can refer to either spiritual or physical uh, healing, eaomai, eaomai actually is almost always used to refer to physical healing. Wow. The passages in James 5, 14 to 15 are an encouragement to pray the prayer of faith over the sick. We must also embrace the fact that should God choose not to heal them, we can trust him with that as well. He is sovereign. I, I told you uh, last week, I think, that um, w- the person who I think had the most valid, incredible healing ministry of our generation, she's with the Lord now, Catherine Kuhlman. But I saw her in person several times, and I saw miracles happen, healings happen that were just incredible. And she used to get up there and cry. And she, w- she would come out in this long, flowing white dress and and, and she, if you weren't ready for her and you'd never seen her and this was all new to you, boy, I'm telling you, it sent you into shock for a minute because she would just kind of float out onto the stage and she would do things like, not a sound. The Holy Ghost is moving. I was on the third row. I'd never seen anybody slain in the spirit. I had never seen anything really supernatural like what I was about to see happen. And she had me scared to death that I was going to do the wrong thing. And she was going to rebuke me right then and there. So I was just, and the healings began to happen right in front of my eyes, just right in front of me. I could go into the things that I saw. But she used to say, with tears streaming down her face, my first question to God is going to be, why weren't they all healed? Why weren't they all healed? She said, I don't know why. I have to leave it up to him. And so do we. But that doesn't mean because everybody's not healed, you don't pray for the sick. Everybody's not saved, you don't quit preaching the gospel. So the gospel is declaration with demonstration. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, Paul said, in word and deed to make uh, the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to uh, Illyricum or wherever it is, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now notice, he said, there is declaration with manifestation. Romans 15, 18 and 19. Now, what is Paul's definition of what it means to fully preach the gospel of Christ? To preach refers to the declaration of the message. This declaration results in making the Gentiles obedient, a reference to their lifestyle in Christ. And full preaching of the gospel includes mighty signs and wonders and the manifestation of the power of the Spirit. That's what he said. So what does your lens do with that? Does your lens see it that way? Here are some examples of exactly what these signs and wonders included. Paul said, now at Lystra there was a man, or the book of Acts says, at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. 
he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up. I can just picture that and began walking. But wait a minute. This guy had been crippled from birth and had, say it with me, never walked. But Paul looked at him and something supernatural was going on and he said, I discern God has given this man faith to be healed. And so I'm going to move with that and I'm going to tell him to get up. And I love that the word sprang up is used. He didn't just kind of Wow, I've never tried this. Something that was like a spring. You ever had one of those bozos you hit and knocked him down? And he, boom, sprang back up. He was like that. He sprang up like there was a spring under his back. And he didn't just spring up. He started walking immediately. Nobody had to teach him, give him crutches, give him training wheels, nothing. I'm just reading it to you. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and he didn't charge them. And he didn't say, with a love offering of $100 or more, I'll send you this handkerchief. That's no handkerchief you ever need. Freely you have received, freely give. That is a scam. That's a scam, and I'm not afraid to say it, because you can't buy the gift of God. Boy, I tell you, I might have just shut some preaching doors right there, but that's all right. And God was doing these extraordinary miracles. He sent them. They were carried away to the sick. And what happened? And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Why? Because the same virtue that had been on the garment of Jesus, when the woman with the issue of blood touched it, and the, the virtue flowed into her body, and she was immediately healed, the, the, it is a tangible presence of God. And Paul had the faith if he couldn't get to them, he'd send something with it on them. And when they touched it, they got healed. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed. Putting his hands on him, he healed him. Now Paul didn't heal him. God healed him through the prayer of Paul. There's often a connection between God's provision of uh, God's provision of righteousness and healing in the scriptures. One example is, Jesus said in Mark 2, remember when they lowered that man down through the roof? He had his four buddies that took him. They couldn't get into the house, so they cut a hole in the roof. That's, that's faith. Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, here comes a man being lowered down. That's determination. Now, look what he did. The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Jesus said that. I want you to know, he said to the onlookers, the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. So he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. First he had told him he was forgiven. Then he told him he was healed. So again, the forgiveness of sin and healing of the body happen concurrently. In summary, God has made covenant of healing, body, soul, and spirit with every person that turns to Christ by faith. 
This healing will ultimately be fulfilled in heaven. Per God's word, the church is called to pray in faith for the sick, believing for a miraculous and merciful healing based on the finished work of Christ. If they are not healed, we trust in God's sovereignty. Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Next time we're going to look at the role of faith in healing. Now before you stand tonight, let me say a couple of quick things. This is really powerful stuff. I know God heals. I've also learned that healing, and we're going to get into this later in the next couple of weeks, that sometimes there are some issues that need to be handled in the person's life before they're really a candidate for healing. I want you to know, I will never tell you, if you come down to this altar, let's say you're diabetic, you come down to this altar and say, well, I, I need to be healed, and, or, or Pastor Jeff, God's healed me, and I just know that he has, so I threw away my medicine. You know what I'm going to tell you? Go get that medicine. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Hear me carefully. Go to the doctor. Because God's activity bears scrutiny. And God does not mind at all you validating and proving that you've been healed before you put your life at risk. I learned the hard way. I've seen people, not through me, thank God, but I have seen people take the faith message, take it out of balance, and run with it and die. Throw away their medicine. I'm healed. Well, how do you know you're healed? I just know I'm healed. I've got Holy Ghost bumps. The Holy Spirit moved on me. I know I am. You mean you haven't been to a doctor to get it validated in a blood test or whatever? No, I don't need that. I, I know I'm healed. It's my confession. I've watched them die. When God heals you, there's nothing wrong with a doctor saying, wow, it's not here anymore. Then you come with that doctor's note and say, here it is, I'm healed. And we'll rejoice, we will never send you off to commit the sin of presumption. Don't do that. That's Jesus being tempted to leap off that temple, the devil telling him, the angels will bury you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus refused to try God through presumption. We're gonna be balanced with this. I know God heals. But, I, but if you have something life-threatening and we pray for you and you feel like you're healed, go get it checked out. And when you come back and say, my doctor said it's not there, we will do a run. We'll rejoice with you. Okay? Let's stand together, can we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now I want us to thank God for his word tonight. Let's put on that lens that Jesus took my griefs, he took my sorrows, he took my sin, he took my sickness. He went about everywhere doing good healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He's a healing Christ, a healing Messiah, a healing Savior. The first thing he wants to heal in your life and mine is sin the cause of this world's woes. From there, he will work his way out into your life. If there's sin that needs to be confessed tonight, can we do it in the name of Jesus? 
If you haven't come to him, if you haven't turned to him by faith and said, Lord, I believe on the cross, you took my griefs, my sorrows, my diseases, my iniquity, my transgressions. But it won't do me any good unless I put faith in that. Put faith in it and God will declare you righteous. If you need to do that tonight, I'm not going to call you down, but if you do need to do that, would you raise your hand? And just let me pray with you tonight. Yes, I see you and you, many of you. God bless you. We're going to get right tonight. Let's start where the real issue is. It's sin. Say with me, Lord Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. I believe that on that cross, you took my griefs, my sorrows, my iniquity, my transgression. I put my faith in that. And I believe God's word to me that you're the Savior. Now lift your hand and say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus. Now if you need to be healed, ask him right now. Say, Lord, touch me. Touch my body. Touch my mind. Touch my broken heart. Touch this disease, this affliction. Touch me, Lord, tonight. If you need a healing, raise your hands and say, Lord, you've dealt with the sin issue. Heal me tonight. Heal me tonight. My chains are gone. Receive it from me. Lord, I put on that lens of faith. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing he's touching you sing it one more time my chains are gone my chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me you need to heal you come down quickly we're just going like to pray for you just come down we're going to pray for you real quickly thank you Lord come down thank you Lord Amazing Rachel, we're praying for you right back there because you're on the monitor. Thank you, Lord. Amazing Sing amazing.